0: This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve All Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with... My man, Richie Ote. What's up,
1: senor? How are you, my friend? How are you? I'm doing well. Hey,
0: things are all good. Mary Goulet is on some beach somewhere doing something. Maybe it's even on uh, Moonlight Beach over there in Encinitas. We don't know. But we will find her soon enough, and uh, she'll be back hopefully next week. White Wade's got it under control in the studio. Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters and here on Reinvention Radio. We do our best to scour the planet to find folks that um, have reinvented their lives and are up to amazing things as a result. And uh, just had just the uh, the honor of having some really really great guests on over the last couple of months here. So if you missed any of the back episodes, uh, make sure that you go back and check out some of those incredible episodes that uh, that we've had the the honor and the privilege of uh, of holding down Ford here on Reinvention Radio. There's some just killer stories that people have been sharing and uh, folks who are reinventing all kinds of businesses. And I mean, you name it, its uh, it's been covered here. And uh, and I got to tell you, no matter what area of your life it is that you were trying to improve on a personal development level, on a relationship level, or, you know, here even on a business level, uh, man, just there's so much great content there in the other episodes. Uh, and of course, we're going to continue that, or at least uh, we've set the bar pretty high for you there, John. So we're going to uh, hopefully get you uh, to, to, to meet that level, and I'm sure you will and, uh, and exceed that after having a chance to, to work with you a little bit and learn more about everything that you're up to. So, uh, and you actually pronounce it John Livesay, right? Yeah. That's right, perfect. Yeah. Okay, good. John Livesey, although it's spelled L I V E S A Y. I was thinking Live Say, but no, that's not, that would not be nearly as, uh, although you do you do a lot of live. Speaking and teaching and coaching and all of that fun stuff. So, uh, so there you go, man. So, give us um, give us a little bit of an understanding of the world that you're currently in, and then we'll work backwards a little bit because uh, I'm I'm just super excited to have had you on here as quickly as we are because we had a chance to work together uh, on, on the new project that I've been kicking around here, Latitude, uh, which is the housing as a service for digital nomads. Uh, kind of in a nutshell there. And, uh, and you had some just killer insight around the way to tell that story. So just give us an understanding uh, of what you're up to in the world.
2: Well, you know how everybody needs a good elevator pitch and few people have one? I'm known as the Pitch Whisperer. And I help people with their elevator pitch so that people can start referring them or hiring them. I help people get their pitch as I was working with you to get their startup funded. And I'm the co-founder and CMO of a company called Quantum RE that's reinventing how people can finance their equity in their home without taking on debt. And as you mentioned earlier at the beginning with my last name, I'm destined to be a keynote speaker, and I uh, do that based on telling salespeople, typically, in technology or healthcare, how to become storytellers as the reinventing way of selling instead of pushing out stuff, which is the old way you reinvent yourself by becoming a storyteller and pull people in.
0: Yeah, yeah. So give us an example then of how, and, and maybe this is, is relevant to what you're doing now as far as your career goes. Give, give us an understanding of uh, a story that really kind of supports then your current work. What, what, what was the sort of the origin story, if you will, that supports the current work that you're doing?
2: Mm. Well, the story of origin for me was I was selling media for Condé Nast, which puts out GQ and Wired and Vanity Fair and a lot of different titles. And um, we had to reinvent ourselves there and not just sell digital, learn how to sell uh, print, I mean, but sell digital and video. And so that was the first genesis of, oh, we have to reinvent ourselves and learn a new skill. And I started helping startups that Condé Nast either work with or acquire craft their pitch to get new customers before we would buy them. So I saw that technology people in particular were really bad at telling stories to get clients. They would talk about their technology and they get it and not what problem it was solving. So five years ago, I went out on my own and started working with tech people on how to tell a better story so that they could get clients and get funding. And then that launched a speaking career um, where I go to companies like uh, divisions of Honeywell and help those big sales meeting summits realize that, yes, they're being disrupted and the old way of selling is not working. What's the solution? And it's becoming whoever tells the best stories uh, is who gets the sale. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So I'm sure this is right up your alley, Richard. Oh,
1: yeah. I love it. But I'm always interested as you know, I worked in Hollywood for 13 years and everyone's got a different definition of what even storytelling means. Mm, yes. You know, what does, what does that actually mean to you? Not a once upon a time, you know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell people, um, there's four key elements to a good story and the story is not, um, let me tell you something that's not true, but and from a sales perspective, what it does is let me tell you a story of someone who was in a similar situation to you, paint the picture And then the potential client or buyer sees themselves in the story, and you take them on that journey. And the key to this, Richard, is that you're not the hero in the story. Your client or the other client that's like your potential client is the hero. You're more like Yoda in Star Wars or the Sherpa helping somebody up the mountain. And there's some obstacles to overcome in any good story. And um, then there's the solution. And then the key secret that 90% of people don't do in a good story is the resolution. What's the outcome of life like after this great solution came about? I can give you a quick example if you want. Yeah, that'd be
0: great. Yeah, for sure.
2: So uh, one of the things I do with a lot of my clients is I work with them on their confidence. Because let's face it, when you get in front of people to pitch anything yourself to get hired, funding, new clients for your business, you your nerves go up. So I I have them write down their moments of certainty, stacking two or three things when they knew they nailed it and put that in their head before they go into the room. So one of my clients, Martin, said, wow, that was a really powerful exercise for me because for me, I remember that, of course, I was born in South America, but I grew up in the Netherlands. And when I turned 18, I went back to South America by my parents sending me there, naked, dropped off to survive for two weeks because of my culture. That's the rite of passage to get into manhood. I said, whoa, that gives me chills. Let's work on that story. I said, what lessons did you learn in the Amazon jungle? He goes, well, I learned how to focus and pivot and even persevere. I said, great. We're going to take those lessons from the Amazon jungle into the concrete jungle of being an entrepreneur. And when he presented that pitch, he got a startup funded because the investors said to themselves, we're going to put our money on the guy that survived the Amazon jungle. He'll fix anything in the business world. So that's a very short little example of what Mm -hmm. I consider a good story. And the elements of it are exposition, the who, what, where, he's 18, you know, and I said to him when he was practicing it, if you don't say that it's a rite of passage in your culture, it's going to sound like child abuse. Mm. Mm. So you need to paint that picture that put people in the story, but clearly the problem is he's naked there for two weeks, and then the solution he's learns those three life lessons, and then the resolution, remember I said this is what most people forget, he got a startup funded because of telling that story. So that's a good example of a story and an example of why that story works. So if you use those four stories, typically, let's say you're selling um, a product or a service and you have case studies that are typically presented very boringly. Like Here's here's a before picture, or here's an after picture if you're an interior designer or an architect, or you know, we, this company bought this from us and blah, 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 but there's no story there. So I work with big companies like architecture firms to paint that picture of, that case study come to life. And then the, what really reinvents this is the old way of closing a sale is do you want to buy, you know, Maslow said, if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, you tend to go around looking for nails to hit. And with storytelling, the question is very different. Mm. you paint that picture of someone else you helped. And you say, does that sound like the kind of journey you'd like to go on?
0: Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really powerful. Pulling
2: them in. It's not push, push, push.
0: But how do you work that in then? Like going back to your days of kind of ass. I mean, that's you get some high powered folks that you're sitting down in front of, and yes. you know these guys are. I mean, what a full page ad and you know Esquire or whatever. I mean, is seventy five k or something like that? Mm-hmm. And they're probably looking at doing something on a year. So you're talking about a you know easily yeah. a seven figure contract on that. Sure. Yeah, you know, these are button down suit, tie type people. Or, I mean, I haven't ever done that, but I'm imagining, you know, sort of that uh, that you know, you know, Madison Avenue sort of look, <laughs> feel, pace, the whole nine, right? So, yes, this is this is probably a little um, soft for uh, them,
2: right? That's so the, that's the perception that it's soft. But I'm telling you, if everyone is going in there with a the hammer of here's how many people read our magazine and you know, all the stats, information, yeah. information. Nobody buys information. They buy transformation.
0: All right, so you were one of the, and you and you you were with Conan S., you left Conan S., you went back to Conan, right? Like, there was that yes. whole journey, and that's a yes. story in and of itself. But at some point, you were, I believe you were the top salesperson yes. in would all. You th- like to,
2: yes, would you like to hear the story of how I won that? Yeah, yeah. Story
3: Kelly? Yeah, okay. right,
2: for sure. <laughs> all right, as you mentioned, I was there for 15 years. Got laid off in 2008 when the economy was crashing and luxury advertising came to a halt. Had to reinvent myself and learn how to sell digital ads. Then two years later, was rehired back. And one of the things I did was guest jeans, which is a multi-million dollar company. I went to them with a story of what if, which was, what if we celebrated your 30th anniversary and our 40th anniversary, which happened to be on the same year, together? And there's models like Drew Barrymore that have been on the cover of W, and she's also been a guest model. And we put those kinds of pictures up at an event, invited celebrities, could get all kinds of publicity and buzz. And I painted that picture for them, and they said, we love it. We're going to create a supplement of every page will be 30 years with a different model and insert it into your 40th anniversary. And that generated all kinds of revenue and publicity, and that's what allowed me to win salesperson of the year for the whole company Mm -hmm. through that story of mm-hmm. getting them to picture something that they hadn't even considered before so that's how you use storytelling to get big sales mm-hmm.
0: so as we're looking to go ahead yeah yeah
1: i mean it's kind of a little bit of a rabbit hole into that because it's interested as a sales guy mm-hmm. what was the story that you tell upper management because it didn't sound like you just added a bunch more expense to have this event and all this. So Mm. obviously if they believe in you already, what was the story you told the people above you?
2: Well, nobody sells alone. So um, forgive me if I made it seem like it was all my idea and I made it happen. It was a lot of collaboration with the internal guest people, as well as our marketing people and our creative services people. And we had a marketing budget based on the percent of the sale. Got it. So that's what allowed us to okay. um, put on the event. <laughs> yes. So I
1: was like, I'm missing something there. <laughs> right. yes. So that,
2: that's, that's the backup. And then, of course, there's a budget for publicity for the anniversary that no longer had to be spent if we did this event
1: mm-hmm. and
2: generated revenue with it. Mm-hmm. So that was the win-win. Mm-hmm.
0: And so there's, there's a lot of coaches and, and authors and, and speakers and online marketers and so on that, that tune in to Reinvention Radio Mm-hmm. How, how does this translate to more of, uh, let's just call it a, a one-to-many type selling structure, like through a webinar or through uh, a live stream or something of that nature where you don't have the benefit of being able to sit down with someone, look at someone in the eye, you know, and really just develop that? No like trust by factor right mm. front and center with them so uh, how does and, and this episode the uh, folks is called reinventing selling through stories that's what we landed on there so reinventing selling through stories so so how does this apply to a scenario what what strategies can you because you've got a, a book out called better selling Through storytelling which i assume then ties into this whole world of online marketing as well. A lot of those principles, a lot of those strategies, a lot of those tactics I think could apply Yes. to this world of, of online marketing as well. where Again, where you don't have the ability to sit down directly in front of someone, shake their hand, look them in the eye, whatever, right? So how, mm-hmm. how do some of these principles apply? What would you recommend that people do in, in that sort of one-to-many scenario?
2: It's a two-part answer. So the first part is you reference something about knowing and liking and trusting. And I want to say that that order that people think, if I give you enough information, either online or in person, then you know how great this is. Then you're going to like me and then you're going to trust me. So it's the old way. Most people say it in that order. Well, if we get, you know, know, like and trust. And my whole premise is that's the wrong order. It starts from the gut, which is, do I trust you? In fact, the handshake came about to show we didn't have a weapon in our hand. Hmm. So it's a fight or flight response. So no matter whether it's online or face to face, you must build trust, usually through social proof. Then it moves to the heart, which is do I like you? So hold
0: on. So let's just hold tight for a second. So I just wanna I just wanna start there. So flipping it basically. Well definitely yeah, definitely flipping it. But how so how do you build that trust without coming across in that slimy or salesy <laughs> or pushy you know, mm-hmm. type way. How, so how do you how do you just take that first step before we get to the heart? And then I'm sure there sure. are
2: steps after that. Yep. How do, so how do you build that trust How do you build you, trust, build trust through storytelling? Right? And I, I hinted at it without going into detail, but we can certainly double click on that. Social proof, case studies. Here's another person that is in a situation like a, my um, quantum RE situation. Um, HELOC got you in a headlock that's describing a a pain point for somebody. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, we've helped hundreds of people just like you and without taking on more debt. So it's just, they go, oh, I trust you because, and maybe there's an even little video in the Facebook ad of a case study of someone saying, you know, my HELOC was $400 a month, and now after 10 years, the interest is going up and plus principal, it's $1,500, I can't afford that, what can I do? Mm You know, if you've got enough equity in your house, we could give you cash. You could pay that off. So, you know, that kind of trust of, you know, and trust in person, by the way, I mentioned the handshake, it's eye contact, it's credibility. Somebody introduced me to you. That All that builds trust. And so that's um, why in the online world, when you can get people to share your content and they become brand ambassadors, that's the number one way to get trust.
0: And so, for those who don't speak real estate, so HELOC <laughs> being home equity line of credit, and so what you're talking yeah. about then are those folks who may have at some point taken out a line of credit against their house. Their house used to be worth 100 grand, now it's worth 200 grand. So they took out a $60,000 line of credit. They were paying a very low interest rate, and, and now that's coming due. So they're going to be sitting here facing a, a $60,000. No to the $60,000 payment that they can't mm-hmm. make unless they sell their house. So, you're saying that. So, is it a matter then of first identifying what the pain is and, and knowing who you're speaking yeah. to and, and sort of what that, that av- avatar,
2: if you will, looks like? Yes. In fact, the more you can explain the problem, the more the potential buyer thinks you have the solution. Because they say, oh, my God, that person's in my head. So headlines that you have on ads or blog posts or every copy on your website, that speaks to the problem you're solving. Here's who I help and what problem I solve, bam, they're like, oh, my God, this is me. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. So if you're in, let's just say it's a webinar. Mm -hmm. And, again, it's it's this one-to-many for those who work in the online world. Yes. What, what would that look Would you actually open a webinar then with that piece first?
2: I would. You know, because before you even get into who, justifying who you are, you, you know, I've seen the most successful webinars I've done and seen literally start with, this is who this is for, and this is who this is not for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the more specific, and then people go, they opt in or they opt out, mm-hmm. right? I have these problems. I see myself like this, whatever you're selling, um... That's the way to pull people
1: in. Yeah, You know, it's interesting. I was talking about this this morning to someone else about just the world of retargeting in Mm -hmm. e-commerce space. And so it kind of goes with, you know, webinar scenario that's going on with a couple different people right now too. So if someone makes it to your product page, they already know the product, they know about it but say they didn't get pixeled. I don't know if you know what that means. Okay, so they didn't get to the thank you page, Mm -hmm. but they made it to the product page and they didn't buy. They closed, whatever. Something happened. Something happened at the office, whatever. It's usually something in my experience that either has to do with shipping or trust to -hmm. stick with your point. And um, so in the case where it's the services, we'll just take the shipping part out and now it's pretty much just trust. Right. I have seen unreal results to take those people and target them just with testimonials of people who have already used that product or bought that product like crazy through the roof results because they were already sold on the product yes they were already they they already want it they're there they just didn't go through checkout so yeah it's it's interesting it's not a hundred percent what you said because you say start with that but it just shows how important that trust piece is that it, it
2: continues throughout the whole sale, but you, yeah. that's your foundation. Again, using a house as an analogy, it's the foundation of the uh, whole event. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then, yeah. now are we ready to move to the heart?
0: Yeah, so um, <laughs> so <laughs> establishing the trust, I mean, again, that can be done through the social proof, through the case studies, and then you're saying we shift to the heart?
2: Yes. This is um, how people, this, these are really three unspoken questions that everybody has when they're Online, in a webinar, or in person, do I trust you? Do I like you? And will this work for me, which is a head thing. Mm -hmm. So after we get to do I trust you and what your company stands for and the credibility and, you know, in the case of uh, advertising, it was, are you going to run the ad on the page you promised me to? All that trust gets built over time by doing what you say you're going to do, Mm -hmm. integrity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then it moves up to likability. Uh, And that is, you know, doctors spend more time with patients they like. Uh, Teachers spend more time with students they like. Uh, You're less likely to get laid off at a company if they like you. So how do we up our likability factor when we're selling or we're on a webinar or whatever it is? Empathy. It's the number one tool that the FBI uses when they're negotiating with hostages. And it is the more you can, again, put yourself in that person's shoes and explain what their problem is. They go, they get me. They understand me. I, I like them. And, the, and then it goes to the head, which Wait, is... Wait, did I, did, I did I miss the heart piece? That is the likability part. So the so heart... Your heart... Your heart is your empathy and your likability.
0: Okay, so those two go together. Okay, so... Well, yes,
2: yeah, so gut, heart, head. So gut is trust. The heart is likability and empathy. And then the head is the third and final component. And again, most people are starting with the head and wondering why they're not getting a yes.
0: Mm-hmm. And so what, what, what does that sound like then? How do you... The likability part? It, well, the likability, um, we, we can get to that in a second, but is, okay. the, is the head the will this work
2: for me? Yes. Is that, okay. Because, yes, because you can have a great product, as Richard was saying, and you know, if people don't, f- or a great, uh, you know, like you have a great company idea to pitch to get funded. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if the investors are listening to it and saying, will this work for me? Is this part of my portfolio? Does it fit in? To that? Mm-hmm. Um, do I know other people in this industry that I could give more than just money to? Will this work for me working with him? Hey, do I trust Steve? Do I like Steve? And now, will Steve's project work for me as an investor? Am I going to get the return I want? Mm-hmm. And like, is it all that of the unspoken questions people have? Mm-hmm. Again, this, the key to getting people to see in their head that they will, that this would work for them, is tell a story where they see themselves in the story. Of uh, another person who is just like them, and it worked for them because you know I don't care if you're trying to sell weight loss or whatever. If you feel like well that worked for you, but it'll never work for me, and you go you know what the yeah. same, same way like you did, and it'll work for them, it'll work for you.
0: So let me let me have you sell sell me <laughs> this pen. Sell me right? No 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 don't <laughs> sell, e- e- movie, even better even better don't don't sell me this pen. Although that, that uh-huh. would be funny. Even better, sell me your book. Better selling through storytelling using this structure that you just laid out. So sell us your book, Better Selling Through Storytelling, using this structure in like a, I don't know, three minute thing or whatever you can do here. (laughs) Oh, okay. I could probably do
2: it a little uh, faster than that. Yeah, I'm sure. All right, right, Stephen, Richard, have you ever thought you were gonna get a sale and you didn't get it and you didn't know why? You think to yourself, God, I walked out of there, I felt so confident, and then I never heard from them again. It could be almost like dating. Um, And part of the reason is maybe you started out with pitching a bunch of information and people just tuned out and they didn't remember what you said after you walked out of the door. Mm -hmm. But what if you could start building trust with your ideal customer even before you start having a conversation with them? And then they not only trust you, but think that you understand their problem better than anybody else. In fact, they think you're in your head because you're what you're putting out in your words and in your copy is the thoughts they're having. I wish I could solve this problem and you have the solution for them. And then you make it so easy for them to say yes because you're pulling them in with a story that they see themselves in and the question of will this work for me becomes of course it will and you've just gone from being invisible to your ideal client to being irresistible. And if you want to learn how to do that with every sale, then Better Selling Through Storytelling is the book it's basically your roadmap. Mm. That's pretty good.
0: <laughs> where's your I know, right? Where's my pen? I need to write you a check right now. If it doesn't, It's on
2: Amazon. Yes, yeah. it's on Audible. Did knock yourself out. I narrated
0: it. Yeah, if my check doesn't clear the first time, just try it a couple more times. We'll see what happens <laughs> after that. But, uh, Richie, uh, before I so rudely interrupted you, you were going to ask another question there.
1: No, I was just it's, – it's interesting because in the first story when you were talking about the rite of passage – Mm -hmm. The resolution you referred to was he got funded, Mm -hmm. but I'm also, what was, I'm curious as to what was the resolution in the story itself that he told them, right? Because there's, it's kind of like a story within the story. Mm.
2: You know what I'm saying? um, Well, in that particular case of Martin being in the jungle, the story was he got his startup funded because he told a great story. Instead of him getting up there and saying, I'm someone who's resilient and persistent, he told a story showing it. And the resolution of that was he got his startup funded. So it's not so much the resolution of surviving the jungle as it is how he used that experience to launch his uh, startup.
1: Got it. So then the resolution of him getting funded was kind of became more of that soft ask of, could you see me doing this for you? Is this the kind of person you want to
2: invest in? Yes. Because remember, investors invest in the jockey, in this case, it's Steve, and his idea is the horse, Mm -hmm. especially when you're Mm pre-revenue. And so that having a story, which shows the kind of skills and tenacity that invest and passion that investors are looking for is much better than just coming in and saying. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So give us an understanding then, uh, and, and, and by the way, just I want to close the loop on this just for a second here. Did we did we cover the four key elements of a good story? I just want to make sure that you had yes. a chance to
2: exposition, problem, solution, and then resolution.
0: All right, hold on. So that was based pos- on the Martin
2: story: exposition, the who, what, where, when. Oh,
0: exposition. Yes. Exposition. Uh huh. Problem. Then- problem. Solution, and then resolution. Gotcha, gotcha. And the difference between the solution and resolution.
2: Solution is the solution to the problem. The resolution is what is life like after that solution happens. So in the case of Quantum RE, after we give homeowners cash for selling us the future value of their home, they now have peace of mind. They can go on a trip. They can remodel their home without taking on more debt. They can pay off a high-interest credit card. All that's resolution.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. So let, let me ask you this. Um, so Oren Claff, who you may be familiar with, right? I mean, he's, yes. he's pretty, pretty well-known in that whole world of, of uh-huh. pitching and, and that structure. How, how does what you teach differ from some of the things that Oren Claff is doing?
2: Oren is uh, very good at causing uh, people to realize who's controlling the frame. Mm-hmm. And the old way of selling is very much oriented that way. What does that Whether mean? I, what does that mean? Controlling the frame. Yeah. It's basically uh, whoever asks the most questions controls the conversation. That's what it oh. means by that. Okay. Right. Gotcha. And so that's the, you know, the old way of selling was um, after I ask you if you want to buy the house, if I'm a real estate agent, then whoever speaks after that loses. And then the same thing when I was selling multimillion dollar mainframe computers, when you say, if you want to buy this? And whoever spoke after that closing question would be considered, you know, oh, well, if I... Th- you know, and it's because people. Uh, so it becomes a, a competition of who's who's going to speak first. That's the old way of doing it. And uh, same thing with whoever asks the questions, right? Constant questions, questions, questions. Um, control the frame, control the conversation. My philosophy is very different, and that uh, what I teach real estate agents in particular. Uh, and a lot of other salespeople is after you ask a closing question or if you're asking to get hired or whatever it is, asking for people to sign up for the product you're selling on a webinar, fund your wonderful startup seed, whatever it is, um, become comfortable with the silence in the room because most people have this negative self-talk going on. Oh, my God, I really need this funding. Or if I'm selling a house, I really need this commission. Uh, If I have to show you one more house, I'm going to lose my mind. So they say something like, well, if I throw the refrigerator in, would you buy it then? And you have to start the whole process over. Mm. So instead of just this will of whoever speaks first, I tell people, just tell yourself I'm patient and calm three times. And it'll give you an extra five or ten seconds. And real estate agents have doubled their sales closing ratios by just being comfortable with silence. So my technique is the way to become comfortable with the silence of the room is to get comfortable with the silence in your head. And so I give them something to say to themselves, like I am patient and calm, while after they ask that closing question, because that person can pick up the energy, even if it's on the internet.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, you've had an interesting trek, obviously, getting to this point and fear has been one of those, <laughs> uh, let's just say, obstacles that you had to overcome and surmount over the mm-hmm. course of, of of your career to get to this point of really, really understanding the structure, this framework, et cetera. You talk about the three faces of fear and how those relate to selling. Yes. And can we just talk a little bit about the, the the three faces of fear that you've identified and then how that relates to selling specifically?
2: Sure. When Condé Nast hired me back after I was laid off, I thought, if I'm coming back, I'm not coming back with one day of fear. Because I was always in fear of the not making my quota, the magazine going out of business, a new boss coming in and bringing in their own people, lots of fears. So by coming back with no fear, because I'd already been laid off, the worst had happened, and I thrived. So that's what gave me the creativity and the courage to come up with these big ideas, like the guest anniversary celebration. Mm-hmm. When I was launching my podcast after leaving Condé Nast, I realized I had a lot of fear around it. And for me, what helped Steve was to put some faces on it. So the first fear was the fear of rejection. What if I ask people like you or Kevin Harrington from Chalk Tank to be on the show? And they say, well, do you have other episodes I could listen to? How many downloads? Blah, 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 blah. Well, you'd be the first. So I thought, well, I've been in sales long enough to know that the solution to overcoming the fear of rejection is never reject yourself. Mm. When I was selling ads, I used to say, oh, maybe another rep could have closed that. Or maybe they are right. Maybe another magazine is better than mine. So never reject yourself or your product. Then the second fear is the fear of failure. What if I have a podcast, nobody listens to it. I'll be embarrassed, spend all this time and money. And I realized that I shifted it when I thought failures just feedback. And you want to keep going until you get a zombie idea so great it won't die. hmm And so that's what keeps you going, oh, I'm not afraid of failure. It's just feedback. And how fast can I get up after I get a no or after I get something that doesn't work? And then the final fear, which almost stopped me from doing it, was the fear of the unknown. What mic do I buy? How do I have this thing edited? What kind of questions should I be asking? And I realized that the key to overcoming the fear of the unknown is don't go it alone. So I found a company that's their whole business is done for you podcasting. They do the editing. I just put it in Dropbox, and the collaboration is really the key to not having to figure everything out on your own when mm-hmm. you don't know how
0: to do something. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Really, really powerful. Um, <coughs> and I have to say that I mean the, the fear stuff that you just went over is, is really, really helpful. This idea of a zombie idea is that is that a is that a John Livesay is that a is that a you thing? Is-
2: that is a, uh, a line a, from a, from my friend uh, friend Jay Samet, who was a guest on my podcast and told
0: me that. I love that.
1: Yeah, yeah. where were you going to say, Rich? What's his face? That was on the show way back. I'm blanking now. The um that that had the ADHD, but he was doing like the ACDC, <laughs> but his ADHD oh. that sold the Not Haro.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he it'll he talked. Me. That Maybe was one of his Kelly. things, too. Yeah, yeah, But anyway,
1: I'm blanking right now. It's a, such a too great, many idea, great guests. I, too many great yes. guests. Yeah,
2: right. <laughs> well, um, one, of my, one of my tagline sound bites that people seem to really love is when you get nervous, the goal is not to get rid of the butterflies in your stomach, but to get them to fly in formation. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. you're looking for a sound bite, there's one. Yeah, there's a good one right there. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, that's awesome. So and I just want to make sure that we have. Uh, ample time here for you to because because better selling through storytelling um and uh, i just got it from you i don't know about a week ago or so so i had a chance to to kind of thumb through it but i will be the first mm-hmm. to say in full disclosure i did not have a chance to read the whole thing we're smack dab in the middle of uh, of our launch of profiting from podcasts right now which is uh, a pretty large endeavor i Things Being considered, I ask myself every time, why? Why do we do this launch thing? Like it's um, doing an online product launch is no mm. small undertaking. There's about a million moving parts there. So, um, but having a chance to thumb through it, I mean, I will mm-hmm. I will say that you are you are truly a master of teaching through story. And and I will tell you that you know that I'm more of uh, of I guess more of a linear thinker. Like I just I I see point you know Z and yep. I and I know the steps that have to be taken to get there, but for for a lot of folks I lose them along the way mm. because I'm just I'm I'm focused on whatever that end result is and I see it so clearly that it's like how how can you not see that you know what I mean so. How how does storytelling then kind of blend into and this is what you seem to be so good at, especially in the book and having you know thumb through, like I said, a good chunk of it and like page after page. How do you come up with all like I have I'm, I I know I have all these stories, but God. like I can't seem to. To tap into them, like I, I don't know where to find. Like, how do you find so many stories to tell, man? Like, it's <laughs> it's. It, you look at that and you go, my God, look at all the things that have happened in this guy's life. There, there's a million things that, that has happened... a million great stories, and, and we've all had those experiences. We've all, and, and I guess I'm just trying to figure out, like, how do you tap into some of those awesome stories that you can tell? Because uh-huh. for me, I just I I. I I don't know. I seem to just gloss over them. Yes, Richard, you're jumping. Sorry, out your I just,
1: chair. it's zombie loyalist Peter. Uh, oh, Peter, Peter Shankman. Shankman. There you yeah, go. That's yeah. What it was. That sorry, was the sorry, one. Sorry. I, had yeah, to, yeah, yeah. I was no, looking.
2: Uh, <laughs> um, so you have, I, I heard two questions. I'm happy to answer them both. The yeah, first please. is, um, how does storytelling work for someone like me? Who's very left brain logical. And I don't understand if it seems so obvious why somebody wouldn't buy, if I've given them all the reasons, to, I've given them all the information and it's just logical. You get, this. yeah. Um, When you become aware that people buy emotionally and then back it up with logic, you then realize that I don't want to lead with logic. And for example, if I'm trying to sell you guys a Ferrari, I promise you, you walk into that dealership, they're not telling you how many miles per gallon it gets. Mm
1: -hmm. They're going to say
2: how cool you look and how how fun it is to drive and how sexy you feel.
1: Can I clarify something you said there? Did you say you sell with emotion and then they back it up with logic? Not Um, we back it up because it sounds
2: as a a buyer, they buy emotionally and then back their decision up logically. Copy that. That's so. If I'm going in to buy a car, as I mentioned, let's say they, you know, you could say, um, the logic is, you know, these windows are three inches thick. Well, the the benefit is you're going to turn your music on, you're going to feel like you're in a concert hall because it keeps the noise outside. Oh, so that feeling, what's the feeling of why I want to buy this? So that's, you know, storytelling lives in the right side of our brain where imagination and likability and empathy and confidence live. And so if you remember that no matter how big or small the purchase is, it's usually an emotion, even a house is an emotional purchase backed up with logic. So lead with the story and then they will justify that decision.
1: And so... So to Steve's question, and I want to clarify for Steve too, it, could it be that you tell too many stories yeah. in a row? Like if you're stringing mm-hmm. too many stories together and not just letting that one... Gel? Yeah, I mean, especially well, if you're selling from stage and it's one to many to his point or a webinar yeah. one to many, mm-hmm. you're not... You don't know yeah. how where they're at.
2: Well, um... The first question, the second question I heard Steve ask was, How do I find all those stories? And I don't think I have those stories. And then your question now is, Is there such a thing as too many stories? So, to the second question, um, I I work with clients all the time on where do we find good stories from your life, your family, lessons learned, trips you've taken, people you've met. So, there's all kinds of, there's four different genres of storytelling. And I'm happy to go through what they are. Sure. Because I think that would be really valuable content. Absolutely. So the first one is: I'm going to give you the genre, I'm then going to give you a movie, and then I'm going to give you a brand that uses that. And the goal for you is to think: what what genre do we want to use for each of these products we're launching or selling or getting funded? Mm. Okay. So the first one is rags to riches, and that genre is a Cinderella story. Right? She used to sit around the fireplace all ashy, and now she, you know, becomes Cinderella. Well, um, the brand that uses that is Johnny Walker Scotch. He used to be this poor little Scottish guy, farmer, and now he's Johnny Walker. The next one is Rebirth. And the movie that uses that is It's a Wonderful Life, the holiday movie with Jimmy Stewart. And the brand that uses that is Prudential. Your retirement is your third act. It is a rebirth. The third genre is leave home and tell a story about it well that's wizard of oz isn't it and the brand that uses that is expedia leave home book a trip on expedia have this amazing adventure and then come home and tell all your friends about it Mm. Mm -hmm. and then the fourth and final one is the quest that's lord of the rings we're going to find that ring (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and Lex's tagline used to be the pursuit of perfection. It was yeah. ongoing. Yeah. So there you go. That's how you find stories, figure out the genre, look at brands using it. And now to answer your, your question, Richard, is there such a thing as too many stories? Um, there's, there's a whole structure. When I give a keynote, tell a story, give a takeaway, and then describe another problem that the audience is having, give another story, give a takeaway. So it's not story, story, story.
1: Got it. And and I would imagine maybe even having a little journal to kind of tie both of these questions together where you just write down stories. You know, you could be just sitting there watching a baseball game and it's like, oh yeah, that reminds me and go write yes. that down, journal that down and, yes. you know, maybe give it a title, something overcoming mm-hmm. or breaking it down into your four categories or whatever.
2: Yeah, the four categories and then use the four steps for every story you come up with within those four genres. Make sure you've got all four steps in there. Don't forget the resolution.
1: Mm -hmm. By the way, your book's in my Audible cart right now. (laughs) I just don't want to...
0: Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to hit that ching
1: Break all this um, out right
0: now. So, uh, what was the fourth? I want to make sure I'm clear on this. What was the fourth genre? So, it was the family, it was the trips, it was the people you've met. And then, did you say the fourth one, or was that something, or did I miss it completely?
2: Oh, I was just saying there's four genres of storytelling, and I went through those. Four. The
0: rags to riches, the rebirth, uh, the leave home and tell the stories, and the quest. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I got you. And so, uh, uh, are you saying then that for each of us, there are stories within rags to riches, like something that we have done
3: mm-hmm. that
0: we struggled with, and then yes. we found success with it. Yes. Uh, the rebirth, I guess, what? That would be sort of the failure type stories, like things fall apart for you somehow, yeah.
2: and then... Yeah, anytime you've had to reinvent yourself or learn a new skill, whatever it is, big, first time you were a dad, whatever, you're, whatever it is, first time yeah. you're a husband, I don't care what it is, it's yeah. always some, some new thing you had to do
0: and then the the leaving home and the telling stories i guess you may find some stories there in terms yeah, of that, going outside of your comfort zone? Is that kind of what you that's mean a, by it?
2: That's, well, I mean it also literally. I mean 99% of the people I talk to do not live in the same hometown they grew up in anymore.
0: Oh, really? It's, that's so rare. You know, like 80-something <laughs> odd percent of people don't move within 10 miles of where they were born. Like it's a huge number. So you are you're obviously running in a much different circle, but yeah. Yeah, you
2: know, L.A. is all about LA. people from all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, but most people um, have done something to go on a trip. Mm-hmm. They've literally left home. They've gone to Europe, something that's, you know, they went to Alaska. I don't care where you've gone. You've just left. Maybe it's, you know, it can be leaving your comfort zone, but it can also just be literally, you don't have to go in a tornado to go on a trip, right? You have some curiosity in your life that you want to see what else is beyond your own four walls in your mm-hmm. childhood.
0: Mm-hmm. And then what what's the difference between the the quest and... Leaving home, or even even rags to riches, so to speak, right? Because I mean, you're you're, you're okay. on this quest to 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 get to a better result. So what what's the difference mm-hmm. there?
2: Uh, well, rags to riches, again, that's the Oprah Winfrey story. Right? She grew up this poor girl in Mississippi, and now she's become this you know billionaire superstar. So that's let's we lock that in. If that's a rags to riches story if you've ever heard one, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now the quest story. Um, I always wanted to go on a dog sled ride in Alaska on a glacier. And so I said, okay, I'm a little bit like you, uh, Steve, and I reverse engineered that. I'm like, what do I have to do? What are the steps? Well, you gotta book a cruise to Alaska, okay. Then you gotta book the excursion, okay. Then I do it, and then they go, Oh, sorry, the weather's so bad, we can't pull the short and let anybody do it. It's canceled. Uh, five years later, I book another cruise. Oh, now the excursion is sold out, which can be on a waiting list. Okay. And I get on the waiting list. Then you get to shore. I got, on the, I got to do it. And the helicopter pilot flies you over the glacier before you land. And he says, you guys are so lucky. Yesterday it was so windy we couldn't land on the glacier. Mm-hmm. And when you finally do it, it's exhilarating. The dogs pull you and you feel like you're on another planet. There's a big flag and there's, you know, a glacier's 360 degrees and there's 200 dogs and people living up there for weeks at a time with no internet and tents. So it was thrilling. But that was a quest. And see how different that is from me just saying, you know what, guys? I'm somebody who doesn't give up. Mm-hmm. I'm somebody who's adventurous. Mm-hmm. It's not nearly as interesting or memorable.
1: What well, it also kind of has an element of everything happens for a reason. Had you been there earlier, you wouldn't have got to do the very yeah. thing you really wanted to do. So, yeah, I mean, it's got yeah. a bunch of stuff in there. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's, let's take a little bit of a turn here, man. I really appreciate your, your perspective on all of this. What, uh, what, what, what's the most embarrassing story that you have yet to share with, with anyone. Like, like seriously, as you go back through your vault of, of stories that you oh, never man. thought you'd share, let's come on, you gotta, you gotta lead by example here, brother.
2: Yes, I, the, uh, Brene Brown, be vulnerable. Um, well, there's so many to choose from. I, I think one of them is early in my career, um, back when we used to take presentations in a carousel, um, and you would show slides that way. Yeah, the Kodak <laughs> carousel. Uh-huh. And I remember um, going to call on Nordstrom's and the publisher in Seattle, and I flew up from L.A., and the publisher flew in from New York the night before. And it was a you know 9 a.m. Monday morning call, and we walk in, and they go, oh, I'm so sorry the person that was supposed to meet with you has an emergency and can't meet with you. So some junior person's going to meet with you. And the publisher was livid that they flew all the way there for a junior person starts yelling at me for, why didn't you confirm this appointment? And I'm like, I did. There's an, did you not hear there was an emergency from Friday to now. And so we get into this little conference room. Honestly, I've never seen a smaller conference room in my life. You back the chair up, you hit the wall. And so I, he goes, just go through the slides really fast. Nobody cares. She's not going to make, this person doesn't have any power. I'm like, okay. So I'm going through the slides and I'm talking and the, there wasn't even enough distance from the carousel to the projector to really get everything into focus. And the one slide had a quote from another retailer on it. And I'm like, and you can see we have other retailers working with us. And because I couldn't read it because it wasn't in focus, um, I just went on to the next slide. Plus he said to hurry. and goes, go, go back, go back to that slide and read it. Mm. And I was like, oh, man. So in my genius, I thought, well, if I pick up the carousel and hold, pull it up to my chest, that extra distance should give me you know, enough to pull that into focus. And instead, I lost my footing, and it went up on the ceiling. And I was humiliated, and the bad sales call just went from bad to worse, and I just thought I was going to get fired. Yeah, so.
0: yeah, that, that's 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 a story of convenience, there, John. All right, let's let's talk about stories on the personal front. Come on,
2: on the personal front. Yes, I mean I've done everything from talking to somebody on a life cycle bike at a gym and leaning over and then falling over, <laughs> and thinking I didn't. I thought this thing was bolted down. <laughs> so when you're trying to impress somebody, like hey, and you're like ah, and then yeah. you fall all the way over. Yeah. So there's just a lot of those.
3: Yeah,
0: that's a good one. All right, most embarrassing LA story. Come on, you. How long you been in LA now?
2: Oh, a long time. Most embarrassing L.A. stories. I have to try and think of something. Um, uh, I was at a memorial service, and a lot of the people there were in the entertainment business, and a lot of people were um, on a show called uh, Frasier. Mm. And um, so I was with some other friends that were actors, and we were going in line to pay our condolences. And um, as I was shaking the hand of the person grieving, they said, we really like your work. And I said, <laughs> I, I, I'm not who you think I am. They go, it's okay. There's a lot of celebrities here. You're, I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm not him. I'm so sorry, but I'm gay. I just okay, thanks. And I was like, so embarrassed that they thought I was some famous comedian.
0: I'm um, thinking Martin Short.
2: <laughs> I think it was somebody younger. Jay, the one that won the blonder hair uh, comedy okay. stuff. But anyway, Jay yeah. Moore. Jay Moore. Yeah, Jay Moore, Jay really?
0: Moore. That's mm-hmm. funny. Oh, man. All right, so we're, we're going to come up against it here, and uh, obviously encourage folks to to pick up better selling through storytelling. Uh, and it's and it's such a, I mean, it's really a manifesto. Uh, from what I and again, I'm going to dive into the to the rest of it here, but I mean, it's really a manifesto on the subject. What um, what's the main takeaway that you hope people get from this book? So if you if you had to kind of boil it down to just a couple of key points here, or one key point. What, uh, what, what do you really hope happens for folks when they get, uh, get from cover to cover on that?
2: Stop pushing and burning yourself out by throwing out a bunch of information and start telling stories and become magnetic, and that's how you'll become a revenue rock star.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you do talk a lot about sort of that, that old school of, of pushing versus, I guess, more of, a, of enrolling, if you will, uh, and just getting people to, to make their own Decision? Do you do you have any tips uh, again around really helping people to make their own? Like it's 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 kind of a dance, right? Because you don't want to Mm -hmm. be manipulative, and I think a lot of people feel like they're manipulative. And, And even if it's just you know, hey, I'm just telling a story. I mean, you're still kind of doing it in a manipulative type fashion, so to speak. No, I mean, from the standpoint of you know, you're going in with an agenda. You just happen to instead of being the hammer and the nail. You just happen to be more like a feather and a tickle on a back. You know what I mean? But it's, it's still with the same hopeful
2: well, one of, outcome. One of the things you can't be attached to is the outcome. And mm-hmm. that's what I was saying with that. I'm patient and calm. If you are passionate and believe in what you're selling, then you, and you know you've helped other people. Like when I'm pitching myself to get hired as a keynote speaker, I've done it enough times. I've got enough testimonials and experience under my belt that I know what it sounds like when people come up to me after the keynote and say, that was fantastic. We now have a new way of doing it. We're inspired. We can't wait to use your roadmap of going from invisible to irresistible. We've got new, and All that comes across when I'm telling the story of other clients I've helped when they're considering hiring me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not attached to whether they pick me or not. I'm just sharing my passion for my own personal purpose for being on the planet, which is helping people get off the self-esteem roller coaster of only feeling good about themselves when their numbers are up and bad about themselves when their numbers are down. So I've come up with a way that gets them off of that and makes them feel good about being in sales instead of being pushy or manipulative.
0: Yeah, yeah. Rich, anything uh, before we wrap here, brother?
1: No, I mean that's great. I mean I'm I'm probably going to get the answer in the book, but I would just say if there were if there was some kind of opening lines because you mentioned elevator pitch in the very beginning, mm-hmm. there were opening things, maybe a few phrases that people could say to just get started to kind of let their story going as opposed to the once upon a time or, or mm-hmm. imagine this, like what are even one, or if you have a few, tell yes, us a few,
2: um, you know, sometimes you can just simply say, picture this mm. when I, I'm 19 years old, I'm sitting on my lifeguard perch it's a hot summer day and you pull them into the story that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Or, you know, what yeah. if, we could solve this problem for you. What would your life be like after that? If I had a magic wand and start getting them in that right side of the brain where imagination lives and they start imagining uh, a life where they're not so stressed out because they don't have cash and they've got all this equity, but they can't tap it or whatever the problem is. Mm -hmm. um, Just start with, um, also another good way to start a conversation is, you know how, and I did it earlier in the show, you know Mm -hmm. how everybody needs a good elevator pitch and few people don't, most people don't have one. It's very conversational. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do know that.
3: <laughs> yeah. you,
2: know, you know how there's so many people that are house rich and cash poor? Yes. Well, we've come up with a way to help them. Oh, you know, so that's. It's
1: a no, I like it because those all seem con- truly conversational. And that's really where I, I could picture people thinking like it still feels like you're pitching them or going at them. But in this, yeah. this form, it truly feels like a conversation with a story in it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, super powerful stuff, man. You know, I do a lot of I do a lot of stage speaking. Um, not only where uh, it's just sort of keynote esque, where it's just content, but I also mm-hmm. do a lot of selling from the stage, mm-hmm. and and so much of what you were suggesting here. Is incredibly powerful. I mean, I'm just envisioning coming on, you know, in a, in a stage presentation, in a speak-to-sell or whatever you want to call those sort of presentations, mm-hmm. with more of a of a picture this or you know how type approach or what if mm-hmm. type approach. It's really powerful stuff, man. If people want more information uh, about you, obviously they should go out and, uh, and and this wasn't meant to be a pitch fest for your book. Better selling through storytelling, but why not? Why not? I mean, my God! Right? Yeah, right. So there you go, and you did it, you know, and you did it in in a storytelling way. And then we made our own conclusion. You didn't push it. We came to our own <laughs> conclusion that we need that book. So, um, <coughs> outside of getting uh, the book better selling through storytelling, which Richie already put in his Audible cart, there, uh, where else should folks go to get more information about you and what you're up to, John?
2: Sure. My website, John Livisay, L I V I S and Victor E S A Y dot com, has my TEDx talk, has a free sneak peek of my book, has my video clips, has my podcast and blogs, all kinds of stuff. And if you can't remember any of that, you can just remember the Pitch Whisperer and Google that, and all my content comes up under that as well.
0: The Pitch Whisperer, I love that, and uh, and I don't think we chatted for more than whatever it was, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, something like that. And uh, again, really appreciated your time because just in that short period of time, uh, just an incredibly powerful session, man. So thank you for your help around that. Uh, Thank you for sharing your brilliance here on (laughs) Reinvention Radio. Um, And I have a little
2: gift for your listeners. If they text the word PITCH, P-I-T-C-H, to 66866, I'll send them a free
0: sneak peek of the book. There we go. So pitch. Text that to 66866, mm-hmm. 66866. All right, my friend, John, really appreciate you for Richie Otey, and Mary Goulet will be back next week, and White Wade. Steve Olsher hanging out here with you guys on Reinvention Radio. Take care, everybody, and we will talk really, really soon. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Thanks, John. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about (laughs) the show and your host, Steve Olson, visit reinventionradio.com.
3: Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called The Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of The Directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of The Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com. That's myultimatedirectory.com.